us there one of the best verses in the Bible, which simply, it's on the last day of this great feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, not a teaching voice, not a sitting down voice, but in a loud voice, He said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to Me and drink, and whoever believes in Me, as Scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. You know, to understand this passage and what you just watched, you've got to understand a little bit of the context, the story behind the story. And you've got to know a little bit about the history the Jews were in. And the, the break of day, there's this great feast. And you've got to understand, what is the feast going on here? It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And what it was, was a fall celebration feast. And Jesus is actually on the last day of this seven-day feast. And, and so on this feast, I mean, hundreds and sometimes hundreds of thousands of people would come into Jerusalem. It was a, a big deal. And they would all be dressed on, during the week in this festive array. And, and on this particular day, the last day of the feast, which is where our text is today in John 7, verse 37 through 40, they come with a palm branch in one hand, an apple in the other. Now, if you really want to know a lot more about this, and I'm not going to take the time, you have to look into the book of Leviticus. Uh, and you'll find more about that, Leviticus 23. But I'm not going to take the time to do that today. I am going to just tell and describe to you what was going on, that little video clip you saw. So everybody's going this kind of this big line. And they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they have this big procession. They leave the temple, and they go down to this place called the Pool of Siloam. Now there's several stories in the Bible around the Pool of Siloam, and I'm not going to chase that rabbit. But they go to the pool, and a priest is leading them, and they take this big pitcher, usually a golden pitcher, they dip it down in that water, and then they'd make this festive with music playing on their way back. And about the time they got near where the altar was, what, uh, this particular priest would be coming in through the water gate. And he would meet another priest who actually had a pitcher full of wine. And they would come both just kind of, you just can imagine, just locked in step here. They got this pitcher of water and they pour it into the base of the altar. And as they pour that into the base of the altar slowly, if you look into Jewish writings and things, they would chant Psalm 113 and Psalm 118. And the priest would say, and then the congregation would repeat the first line, and then they would say, Hallelujah, which translated means, Praise the Lord. And then there would be just this air of silence, because in truth, it was a holy moment. It was a moment when they were looking at the goodness of God to them. And they were also, as they poured out that water, which symbolized the rain, and it also symbolized the Holy Spirit, they poured that out, they realized that they needed the provision of God to sustain them in the arid climate in which they lived. And so there was just this holy hush, this holy silence over the crowd. And it is at this point that the Scripture enters in 
And it says that Jesus stood up with this loud voice. Not He wasn't sitting down teaching, but with a loud voice proclaiming that if anyone was thirsty, let them come to Him. Jesus is not interrupting the ceremony. In fact, He's interpreting it. Because it is that ceremony pointed to the Lord of glory. And the Lord of glory that day was present in bodily form. He was there. And so the whole crowd just like, they've never heard someone speak like this. I mean, it'd be like there's just this really holy moment going in here and someone stands up at the back. And they're not a heckler, but I mean, they stand up at the back and they start talking loud and saying, that points to me. That's a pretty bold statement. But that is the context in which our story occurs. And the people heard this and they said, this must be the Christ. This man must be the prophet. The prophet. And of course, as you heard, there was a little bit of confusion. We'll get to that later. But they thought, who is this man? Now, I've talked about the context of the passage. Now let me leave that and come to the content of this passage and what I would like to say to you tonight. The first thing, number one, that I would like to say to you, and you have these little notes here that I put together for you. It says replenish at the top. You say, when's it going to fill in the blanks? Well, this is, I'll fill in the blanks now. And so the first thing you can write in there is Christ calls everyone who is thirsty. And what that means is that nobody's excluded from this invitation. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for us free will Baptists. But everyone. He said anyone. And it's very clear in the original Greek. Anyone can come who is thirsty. So the only prerequisite to have your thirst satisfied is to be thirsty. We are all born with an inward thirst for God. Spiritually speaking. We all need God. We all have this longing. There's something deep inside of the soul of man that needs to be satisfied with a relationship. And that illustration tonight is the relationship of water and of a thirsty soul. Only the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Even the fool knows deep down that there is a God. That there is a day of reckoning. And that this temporary material world will one day end. So Jesus gives us the universal appeal of the gospel. <coughs> In fact, He's the fulfillment of that. The second thing that I'd like to say tonight. Is that thirsty people? I need a drink of water. I'm just kidding. Um, 
thirsty people must come to Jesus. They must come to Him. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come. There is only one place that we can have that thirst satisfied, and that is at Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can satisfy you. Not religion. You can come in here tonight, and you can practice religion, but you can leave thirsty. Not alcohol, not drugs, not lust. Not greed, not materialism, not Buddha, not anybody else. And not a bunch of legalistic rules and regulations can satisfy you spiritually. You have to come to Jesus. We know ultimately that this crowd rejected this invitation that Jesus made and they crucified Him. But the prophet Jeremiah had something to say about this day. In Jeremiah... 2, verse 12 through 13, we know that Israel had a history of turning the wrong places to fill their thirsting souls. And Jeremiah said this, Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now you may need to know what a cistern is. A small one's coming my way. Thank you, Homer. Just one of them, or I'll spill it everywhere. Not satisfied. Feels so much better. It's kind of like I got a drink. I hope that's how you leave tonight. Now Israel had this history. And this cistern was these broken cisterns. And what they're saying is in an arid climate, you have to store water. We know a lot about water conservation today. And we live in a rather lush environment. But put yourself over in the Middle East, they know about dry times. And so they would store water up in these big pots in the ground. And they would save it up for when they needed it. And the prophet Jeremiah is saying this. <clears throat> he is saying that you have a broken cistern because you're trying to fill your soul with something that isn't going to ultimately satisfy you. It's like the woman at the well in Samaria. She had been married multiple times and she wasn't going to tell Jesus that, but the truth was that she was looking for something to satisfy her soul. She thought a person could satisfy that. And Jesus said, no, it won't. You need living water that will make you never thirst again. And so those things don't hold water. They won't satisfy you. They won't replenish your soul. And so there comes as a warning. The Scripture gives us this warning. It said, don't place your hope in the things of this world and the people of this world. Because the warning is this. It's recorded in Scripture. Number one, for your benefit. It's a warning. And number two, not to follow that example. You need to learn from your mistakes. You need to listen to mom and dad. You don't have to do everything the hard way. That's the lesson here. Yet we still find ourselves, don't we? Using these broken wells for satisfaction. These broken cisterns. America's full of them. 
We could just say, if I could just have this, I would be satisfied. If I could just have $500 more a month, or if I could just find the right person, or if I just had the right job, or someone would just recognize me for my potential and who I am, or if I just had one more car, one more rifle, one more purse, you know, it just goes on and on, doesn't it? But Jesus is not inviting us nor is He offering us these things to satisfy us. Jesus is saying, I am the satisfaction that you need. I am your peace. I am your joy. I am your hope. That will quench your thirst. But unfortunately, the tragedy is, is that many of us, thirst isn't quenched because we're trying to quench it with things that will never quench it. We're like a little kid who gets a piece of candy, but he's really hungry. He eats that piece of candy, but he's hungry just a few minutes later because it will not satisfy you. Can you say amen? That's it. So are you thirsty? Are you coming here tonight and say, man, I, I didn't really want to come Wednesday night. just sat here. It don't have to be that way. It don't have to be like that. Thirst is a wonderful blessing to be thirsty because it points you to Jesus Christ. There's a reason those things don't satisfy you. God engineered it that way. He wants you to stay thirsty. He wants you to stay hungry for Him. And He wants you to quench that with righteousness, with Himself. The third thing that you need to do if you want to satisfy your thirst, you must follow Jesus to be satisfied. That's real simple. Notice the last two words in verse 37. It says, and drink. Come to me, anyone who is thirsty, and drink. And the old adage is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him right. Jesus has that same problem with us. But the truth is, is Christ has provided everything we need. Everything that can satisfy us. But we have to drink. We have to receive it. God's divinely appointed that. And you know, some people think, well, I'll be satisfied when I get home to heaven. No, no, that's not what He's saying here. Yes, that's coming. And yes, that's an ultimate fulfillment. But Jesus Christ made it very clear that you could have life in this life. Abundant. He said that. I didn't make that up. This ain't no pep talk. I'm not whatever his name is. So you have to receive that gift. Jesus didn't come to say that everything will suit your fancy. You know, some of you think you've got to find the right church before you're going to be satisfied. You've still been looking. Man, I'm telling you, there ain't no perfect church. You say, well, just the perfect preacher would come along. Well, he, he's not here tonight, but I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm no Billy Graham. And let me tell you something. God ain't going to fix all your circumstances so you can now walk into the church. Hey, I'm righteous. Man, your righteousness is filthy and so is mine. That's what the Scripture says. Argue with God about it. Isaiah 12.3 says this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And so there's a joy and a peace and a love that's available to all who will just come and drink. But not only will He fill you, but the Bible says 
that He will overflow you. Now, this is the best part. And this is where all the preaching is going to get done. It's right here. So listen and, and, and rejoice in this. Number four, you will become a blessing to others. He says, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. What is he talking about? He's not talking about ponding. Now you've got to let that sink in. He's not talking about you getting all this good stuff tonight. You're getting all that good stuff every Sunday, and it's just ponding up, and you're storing it all in yourself. No, no, that's not how it really works. He wants to overflow you so you will be a blessing to other people. He says, we have a tendency to get full of a lot of things. And some of them ain't so good. And out of the abundance of the heart, Proverbs 4.23 says, the mouth speaks. And some of us are full of complaint. And when you're full of complaint, you get murmuring. And when you're full of resentment, you overflow with bitterness. And when you get full of coveting, you overflow with what? Greed. And when you get full of the world, you overflow with worldliness. And the per when you're full of the person of Jesus Christ, guess what you overflow with? Jesus. And that gets over on other people. It affects other people. It's because you can't contain it. It's just bubbling up out of you. And it's got to go somewhere. And that's the way, my friends, God made it. And that's the way He made the church. And that's the way He made this worship celebration to be. Because He wants us to get so excited about, about Him and allow His Spirit into our life that whether we're at home, whether we're at church, whether we're at work, or whether we just see someone broke down on the side of the road and we just say, you know, the Lord's kind of telling me to pull over and help that person fix that. And you start telling them about the Lord. You see how it's overflowing? That's what He's wanting. That's the spring that will never fail. It says in Isaiah 58, 11, and I don't know what exactly scripture he's talking about, but this is a good candidate. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, sounds like Jerusalem, and will strengthen your frame, and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. You're going to be a blessing. But you can't help other people if you're just overflowing with the bad stuff. Some of us overflowing. We've been ponding way too long. And you've got some scum on the top of your pond. And you need something to scrape that scum off. And tonight, I came to scrape that scum off of you. And it ain't going to me be doing the scraping, it's God. And He's going to scrape that old scum off of you if you'll let Him, and you'll start flowing again. If you want to stay the way you are, you just go right on ahead and do that. That's an argument you've got to get with God. God sent me here to tell you, quit ponding. Quit souring. That's what Will's been saying. You know, the essence of all true ministry is really this, and this is in your notes. It's an overflow of the life of Jesus in our lives. David said this in Psalm 23. He said, surely, he says, my cup runs over. Got a good example there, right? It runs over. He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's, that's wonderful. I like that. 
You ever think about the context in which David wrote that? I mean, it's right there in the passage. In fact, let me step back and read it. He said, in the presence of mine enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. I want you just to think about who are the enemies sitting at the table of David. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect when I get home. And in fact, I'm downright scummy and grumpy sometimes. And I sit down at my table, and Dallas, I start making enemies. Right? And you say, well, what are you talking about? Hey, let me tell you about David. You know where some of the worst enemies of David was from? It's from his own family. His own son wanted to kill him and become king. But let me tell you something. David, I believe, whether he wrote Psalm 23 by then or not, at some point he had this in his soul. Because you look at how David reacted when, 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 when Absalom wanted to kill him, and he wanted Absalom to be restored. He wanted his son to come home. He wasn't worried about the kingdom. He wasn't worried about any of this stuff. He wasn't worried about prestige, recognition, the whole nation. He didn't care. He cared about his son. Because there was something coming up out of David and it was that well of living water and it was saying, you got to love him. you got to love him. Though he hates you, love him. Be persecuted, you pray for him. I make you think different about Psalm 23, won't it? Made me think different. You know, some of us got enemies sitting at the table. In fact, some of us, it's just war and love in our house. I want to remind you that when I sit down at that table, God reminds me, son, you need to overflow with forgiveness and love for those sitting around you. Even though they're doing some things to get on your nerves and they, sometimes they are downright doing things wrong. But it's that overflow of the Holy Spirit that makes it possible to help people. You see... I learned a long time, half the time, I don't think my son listens to me. He ain't got it yet. I don't know that he will. But Matthew 5.34, here's what Jesus said about your enemies. He said, pray for your enemies. He said, pray for those who despitefully use you. And then he says in Galatians 5.22, he says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's what wants to come bubbling up out of you. And we live in a culture right now that hates the church and they hate the Word of God and we're all worried about it and we're getting all mad and we're picking up our arms. But Jesus says, no, that's not how you handle your enemies. That's not how I taught you. I said, pray for them. How can you pray for someone that hates you? You just start praying. I think that's what part of what Jesus was wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, he could have done things a military way. He had a whole crowd of people that wanted to follow him to restore Israel. But he wanted to do things God's way. And to do things God's way meant that he had to crawl up the road of Calvary crawling. And the Bible tells us later that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the shame of the cross and that he crawled up that old hill dying for our sins. But it was joy in his heart. You want to know why he had an unbelievable strength? It was because love and joy was springing up in that old physical body of Jesus. And it was empowering him.
Because he said, I'm doing it right. I'm doing the right thing. And I've got to tell you, you've got lost loved ones, and I'm telling you, you've got to love them. You've got to love them. You've got to pray for them until your soul starts uh, flowing over again. Don't let it pond up. Because God put that love inside of you. That's part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we get scared of this old world and have this man-fearing spirit. But the Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but He has given you what? Of love. And what's the other thing? <laughs> and a power and love and a sound mind. I messed that one up, man. Right, I'm almost done. I've got seven lines left. <laughs> you know, this world is thirsty. They are. Because God put it in them. The last thing I want to say to you. You said, boy, that sounds like a whole lot, preacher. That's a lot harder than you think. Sure it is. I didn't, I didn't say this anyway. Jesus said it, so you argue with him. You must stay replenished. Before we can overflow, we have to be filled ourselves. In Ephesians 5.18, the Bible tells us, Do not be drunk with wine, where it is in an excess, but be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit of God is everything because this passage I read to you is a direct reference to the Holy Spirit of God. And when you're not filled with the Spirit of God, you can't do these incredible things that God wants you to do. You cannot do it on your own. It, the Spirit is personally satisfying to you. The Spirit of God is ministry equipping to you. It is necessary, it is necessary, and it is necessary, and there is no substitute, there is no program, there is no screen graphic that will work that can do the job of the Holy Spirit. And until we get where we want to get with God, God ain't going to move. And we've got to get where God wants us. Are you thirsty? I'm thirsty. Jesus is never ending fountain of life. Would you bow your head with me? As long as you stay connected to Jesus, I don't care what you're going through. You will never, never run dry. And today, if you will hear the voice of Christ who spoke this same passage two years ago, and if you recognize your thirst, today if you will come to Him, He and take drink of His Spirit, He will not only satisfy your soul, but you will become a source of blessing to other people that will perpetually bless them. And so the invitation is now. As we bow our heads, you want to come up here and pray, I'm going to do that. Or you just pray right in your seat. But if you're thirsty, let him come to Jesus and drink. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I've delivered the message you laid on my soul. I know that your word will never go out void, that it will accomplish what it was meant to accomplish this evening. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.